It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, picking up the papers today, I think nearly every single uh, paper on the front page, lovely big photographs on the front page of uh, Rashida Adelecki, who came fourth place in the women's 400 metre final at the World Championships in Budapest uh, last night. As, um, as I almost ran the race with her, I got so excited watching her. I just love to watch the way this young woman runs. She makes it look so effortless. She's just fantastic. And you, you forget, only when you're reading the papers today, it's, it struck me again, she's only 20. She's got such a career in front of her. And she was quite, you know, happy. I mean, I, my heart went out to her coming in uh, fourth. I was really hope she was going to place and that she'd end up with a medal around her, her neck, but just literally just pipped at the post. But she's happy with what she's done and, and she can be very, very proud of her achievements. We're, we're having a great World Championships in athletics and a lot of them are very much stars of the future. So lovely to see Rashida Adelecki, as I say, in all of the papers uh, today. And another woman who obviously is featured in a lot of the papers is Roisin uh, Wiley, who we were only speaking about this time yesterday. She had just been crowned the 2023 International Rose of Chile. And of course, the day after the crowning, the the winning rose is always taken to the Rose Garden in Tralee Town Park and there's also a famous photograph of them uh, standing. Usually it is amongst red roses and yet again there is uh, Roisin Riley in amongst all of the red roses in the Rose Garden in uh, Tralee Park and of course she's starting now to come to terms uh, with her win and she's come out very much defending the festival because the Rose of Tralee Festival it, it's often drawing criticism over, over the years and particularly people start to compare to remember Father Ted's Lovely Girls uh, competition and many people disregard it as just simply being it's an out-of-date pageant. What are we doing? What was it in the 63rd year? People saying, no, okay, maybe 63 years ago it was fine. People are saying it's too dated, it's out of date, we should be forgetting about it and actually scrapping it completely. Some people uh, feel, well, our new Rose of Tralee, Roisin Wiley, thinks uh, differently. She says that there's nothing outdated about celebrating women and Irish culture and what makes us beautiful and what makes us different. She says she's never felt more beautiful and strong in herself and she thinks that the 31 other women who took part with her would say the very same thing. And she said it's not because the way we look or the way we dress, it's because of the support that we've given one another. Nothing about that, she said, is outdated. And she said when you look at the 31 other girls 
and everything that they brought to the table and the experiences we've been through. There is such beauty in the different things we've each brought to the festival. And she said that she 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 actually believes that it represents modern Irish uh, women. And uh, of course, as we, we did mention yesterday, RTE are very pleased with the figures that they've received, the viewing uh, figures. So there certainly is an appetite out there for the Rosa Trulli to continue on TV at the end of August every year. 0818103103. We've been speaking this week about crime, particularly crime in uh, Dublin and young people. It seems to be young people on the rampage ending up before the juvenile courts and there's a lot of people, including within government, trying to get to how do we stop it and how do we make our cities safe again with a story that's making the papers. It's another problem to do with uh, crime and I really don't know what is the answer uh, to this and this problem is the burglary gang members and the so-called joyriders who are continuing to play cat and mouse with Gardaí on the country roads with the criminals taking advantage of the fact that the officers are often told to stand down and stop chasing the car, the joyriders, whatever is going on. However, Gardia pointing out uh, that they did have a very successful high-speed pursuit of a stolen Toyota Yaris car. This was on the M50 early yesterday and there's a video actually circulating of it and it just shows how proactive policing can work. But... You need to have specially trained guarded drivers and they are the ones who have to chase down these criminals. Now, it seems this Yaris was stolen in Lucan in County Dublin and then local officers chased it to Finglas on the M50 before arresting the three suspects who were all from Clondalkin. Two of them, by the way, under the age of 18 and there was one adult in the car and they actually used one of those stinger devices and that was used to stop the t- a stolen uh, car. And one detective Garda is quoted in the papers as saying the, the currently trending crime of car theft, particularly in the Dublin, the metropolitan region, at the West Division in Dublin, is now the he says, a daily feature of the area. They've already had over 460 cars stolen this year to date. He said the vehicles are being taken from hardworking families in West Dublin by criminals who, are, who then are intent on causing havoc on the road network and they do it right across the capital and they even go further afield if they want to. Now the GRA are continuing to advocate uh, for management to train rank and file Gardaí so that they can carry out the necessary functions and give them the skill set and the confidence to confront these carborne urban criminals rather than simply standing by and of course they're, they're stood down on health and safety grounds. Sources said that at least two high powered black Audi cars were used by burglary gangs in the Leinster region. This is just this week alone. There was a similar stolen Audi used by a Munster based gang that was found burned out in a, a village in County Limerick on Monday night and that but before they burned it out, it was involved in two burglaries, one here in Cork and one in uh, Tipperary. The car had initially been stolen from a dealership in County Tipperary. Now, it was stolen last month and sources say it's been extremely active and was used in a smash and grab raid in a supermarket in County Leash. It was also used in nighttime raids of an electrical store in County Clare and a supermarket in County Tipperary. And Gardaí suspect that the gang who are based in Limerick have been using that particular car for a number of retail uh, burglaries. And then separately, there was a Tala-based burglary 
burglary gang and they're suspected of using two high-powered black Audis. Now, there was false registration plates on them and they were travelling around Leinster targeting a number of properties. Now, a guard that alert was in place for one of the vehicles on Monday afternoon and it was spotted in Ashburn in County Meath and that was about half two in the afternoon. Now, it failed to stop for local Gardaí and then it sped off. But when the officers tried to pursue it, they were ordered to discontinue, step down the chase. Why? For safety reasons. The car then later turned up in the afternoon in Trim and Dunchlachlan in County Meath. Then it moved on to Mount Mellick. It was also spotted in uh, Port Arlington in County Leash. There was again a request for uh, the guard. Oh no, there was a request at that stage for the guard, the helicopter, to try to track it. But the car kept going out of sight as no one was allowed, no one on the ground was allowed to pursue it. So the helicopter then, it was decided there was no point deploying it uh, because if there was no one on the ground to feed the information to the helicopter, they simply would lose uh, sight uh, of it. Even though at one stage there was off-duty guard, the members who were watching it and were able to say where the car was and where it was heading to. Now the car was eventually driven to Tullamore in County Offaly, where the occupants are suspected of having been involved in a burglary at about five o'clock in the evening. Sources say that the last reported sighting of that vehicle was in the Rathcool area of South Dublin and that was around 6.30 on Monday. So it certainly got out and about on uh, Monday. And a guard the source saying it's absolutely crazy that this car can simply drive around to all of those locations virtually uninterrupted for four hours and even worse that it was then used in burglaries during that time. It's well documented, said the source, that there is huge frustration among rank and file Gardaí that these criminals can't be chased chased, and that any time they try to pursue them then they're, they're simply, it's stood down and they're told to stop on health and safety grounds. They say the problem is getting worse and at this stage many members are wondering if the best that Gardaí can do is to be a visual presence on the road because they can't go after the criminals who fail to stop for them. In an incident involving suspected joyriders, Gardaí who tried to interact with a stolen go-car in the Temple Bar area of Dublin. Now this was about 10 o'clock on uh, Monday night but again they were ordered to stand down in the interest of public safety. The car, it seems, was being driven in a very dangerous manner in the Dame Street Grafton Street and Temple Bar areas and was even driving the wrong way on the keys towards Houston Station. But the guys, they weren't allowed to follow it. The vehicle says one guard, the source, was a major hazard to the safety of pedestrians in the city centre on what was a busy night. Isn't that? And of course, these criminals know. They know that once they speed off and once they take off at any kind of a fast pace, they know the guard will be stood down because, of course, we know what has happened when a guard, the car, uh, chased criminals the wrong way down a motorway. And then, of course, the occupants were, were killed. Uh, and of course, there's an investigation into that and GSOC have to get involved. So the guard, the, like they're damned if they do and they damn, they're, damned, they damn, they're damned if they don't. But see, I mean, this video that is circulating showing the successful uh, de- 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 deploying a vehicle to stop and, and using the stopping device resulted in the rest of what was repeat offenders following that high speed chase around Dublin in the early hours of Wednesday night. This happened yesterday. Um, like that was very successful, but it was highly skilled and highly trained officers. 
if that's not what we need to do, then so be it. Start training up all of our rank and file Gardaí so when they do get behind the wheel of a car that they are able to safely go after some of these uh, criminals and use more of those uh, stinger operations, those uh, stinger devices to stop the car, the cars. I don't know why they're not used more often. 0818103103. Your thoughts are welcomed on that. Do you feel for the Gardaí? Is it very frustrating uh, for them, particularly when they have sightings of these cars and they know they can't do anything about them? Ralph Regal is writing in The Independent that hundreds are expected to attend the uh, vigil in Yall. It's to show solidarity with the families of the two athletes who so sadly died during the Ironman Cork event last uh, Sunday. Now this vigil was organised as the Justice Minister Helen McEntee is warning that it is simply too early to determine if a public inquiry is now required into the tragedy. Some people feel that there should be a public uh, inquiry and of course um, we're hearing uh, today on our own news bulletins that uh, Brendan Wall is to be buried after a funeral mass today. He's originally from uh, County Meath. And of course, Ivan uh, Chittenden from uh, Canada, as we spoke yesterday with uh, Anne Mooney from the Irish uh, Sun. He's already been cremated and his ashes are due to be brought back to uh, Canada where they'll have a service in uh, Toronto. And it's the community radio in Yall. They said that locals felt they needed to do something to support the families. So this vigil has been organised. They want to support the families, but they want to honour the passing of those two brave athletes who sadly passed away and hundreds are expected to attend the candlelit vigil. Seven o'clock this evening, if you're planning on going along and they're asking people to meet at the Green Park. And of course, floral tributes have been placed on Yall at Seafront. They started to be placed on Sunday and they continued right across the week to honour the two men. Now, Gardaí at this stage uh, are, will prepare a file on the two deaths for the Cork coroner, while investigations are also expected to be carried out. Now, obviously, Ironman Ireland themselves will carry out an investigation. It's expected Water Safety Ireland will have an investigation, as will Sport uh, Ireland and the inquests. Uh, they are not expected to be held until at least next uh, year. But it's just such, such a uh, tragedy. And it's been a huge shock. I mean, I really do feel uh, for the people of Yall because there's, there's that wonderful community spirit in a town like Yall and they very much embrace the Ironman competition and they turn out in huge numbers to cheer on all of the people that take part. So it was, you know, the, the, these two deaths was really, really heartfelt by the people of you all. So their opportunity tonight and anybody else who wants to go along, bring a candle with you. Seven o'clock this evening at the uh, Green Park in uh, you all. 0818103103. Your lines are open. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, Ireland has lost almost a quarter of its pubs in the last 18 years as more and more publicans abandon the trade. Rural uh, pubs were particularly hard hit, with us here in Cork losing nearly 30% of pubs in the that time. To discuss the impact of a pub closure, I'm joined by Tipperary Independent Doll Deputy uh, Matty McGrath. Good morning to you, Matty. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Isn't it fair Thank to you. say that a pub closing in a city like Dublin or Cork or Limerick or Galway, while it's sad, we're all involved, it doesn't have the same effect as the closure of a pub in a little village? Yeah, you're 100% right there. I mean, look, first of all, every publican they pay rates, they pay taxes, they pay VAT, insurance, 
they support all the events in the community, whatever events are going on, they, 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 the first people are asked for sponsorship and tea boxes and, you know, raffles and God knows. But in the villages, especially, and in some of the towns as well, the local pub kind of communities around that, they hold after christenings and after weddings and, and more importantly, birthday parties and everything else, but also funerals. And they, they many cases, the pub is the only place they can congregate, get together after the ceremonies and, you know, and mm. talk and relax and whatever. And then whether it's table quizzes, whether it's uh, um, fundraisers or whatever, draws, in the pub is the focal point. Many of us don't have the community halls, don't have the facilities, so we don't value our, our pubs enough. And it's a tough job now as well. I always along, but customers have been driven away from them, you know, the, the, the stricter regulations of the Road Traffic Act, and also then the, the, the cheaper drinks and the off-licenses and the multiples. And the government have failed for decades to tackle that. Out of too late, people have been driven to home drinking, which is much more unsafe much more antisocial and no measurements. The publicans, by and large, 99% of them look after their customers. Many of them drive them home, but as well as that, they ensure they're not drunk or they're not, you know, and it doesn't happen. So Ireland will be a sadder place, and it is a sadder place with the demise yeah. of, of, of and the would, And would you know of some areas where the, uh, where the last pub opened had to close, so they've ended up with no pub? Oh, there's a, there's a dozen villages in my county they have the shop, pub, uh, fitness station. You will sit in the middle of the road uh, uh, during the day uh, and the white line and you'll be safe. There's nothing happening. It's, it's the demise of rural Ireland. It's depressing, to be honest. But, but successful governments and the system has mitigated against communities like for, for, for decades. And we, we get all this patronizing talk about rural development and supporting rural Ireland. If they left the build of rural Ireland alone without crippling with periods of taxes and and stupid legislation, uh, people in rural Ireland would fend for themselves. No matter people, the sense of the male, when someone is sick, when someone dies, they rally, they come together, I think, of the young by Dylan Quirk and Tipperary, the outpouring of support, you know, the, the fundraising for, you know, to get people tested for this sudden health. That, that, the, the amount of good that's in rural communities, and unfortunately, much of it centers around the pub, not for the drink, a drink culture. As I said, there's much more drink being consumed at home and it's not safe. No measures, no anything else. So the publicans, by that, there are taxpayers, there are employers, there are ratepayers, and they support the community in the sense of the mail. And look, it's beyond talking about them now because they're gone. And yeah. not only and, and, but, but if an area doesn't have a, a big population, uh, with the tight margins that are there at the moment for all yes. publicans, you can really understand why they're closing, particularly at the moment. Of course, and they have to pay the rates. They have to pay the, the, the taxes, obviously. They have to pay insurance, heat and light, and then all the coolers for modern drinks. You have to have coolers or costs. A lot of money to keep them up. Like I go into, there's one particular village that they had four pubs when I was young. They still have two. And I go into now, would say tonight, for instance, if I, if I went in, there might be three in one. There might be anyone there. Well, and they have to keep those pubs open, lights on, coolers on. And that's, Directly because of the legislation, the, 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 the total clampdown on drink driving. And I'm not saying drunk driving, I'm saying the people that can drive with two drinks or whatever, as they used to always. But no, and then you have their soft touch 
for the Gannity Corner, unfortunately. Um, the, 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 the robbers and the vagabonds are on the road. They're free reign now. Because a man going home from the pub at night, 11, 12 o'clock, if those cattle out on the road, horses, if he made strange vehicles, I remember the old time the guys was supposed to, he'd know he'd be in the pub and he'd ask him, did you see any suspicious last night? And that's where they got the information. Now, <clears throat> this all closed down, clamped up. The, the criminals have free reign on our roads in the country. And of course, the, the real tragedy is that many of those pubs are family-run uh, pubs and would have been, for some, uh, would have been in the family for many, many generations. And it's really difficult for those families, isn't it, to have to just close up shop. And they can't even sell up shop because nobody wants to buy them. Nobody wants to buy them. And I can't blame a young uh, woman or a young man that wanted to get a job away from the pub because the hours, first of all, are chronic. I, I would... Uh, and then they also there's no income there for them because it's just not there, and um, they go for other uh, jobs. And it's, it's it's so sad. But but you can go across the farmers, across the seven right people in rural Ireland that are detested. And I think the biggest problem with with the government and the system in this country is that the system, the revenue especially, was was envious and 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 jealous, and felt they weren't getting the full return. That's why they want to go cashless. They, they, they felt that they mightn't get the full returns uh, of cash. God knows they wouldn't. They might turn over uh, sixty euro of a night now. But look, that's the way they, they was beaten into the ground, beaten people with initiative. And then on the other hand, what really sickens me: this trendy government of of, of Martin and 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 Lorraine and Bradshaw, they want to leave the pubs in Dublin open late past four in the morning. Who wants to be in the pub at four in the morning? Who can go to work the day after I've done the pub at four in the morning? And uh, you know what I mean? Look, it's, 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 it's sickening the way they're trying to destroy our culture, our very heritage. And the storytelling and the folks who are handed down and the bit of crack in the pubs, that's good for everyone in the family. Whoever's in the pub, whether it be man or the woman, you go out and you socialize. Not drinking at home, it's, it's, it's just... It's, it's, really at least to Yeah and uh, I saw uh, Michael O'Donovan who's chair of the Vintners Federation here in uh, Cork and he's, he's a great advocate particularly on behalf of uh, pubs in rural areas he's citing uh, taxis we've a huge huge issue that there's not enough taxis should have no taxis since COVID in my town, the Plan Mel and Care in Tipperary Town, more than 50, 60 million of the taxis disappeared. They never came back into the business. You might get a taxi now in town, around the town, but to get an eight miles, ten miles out where I live, not a hope. And, there, and therefore people are not going out because I know it's affecting the restaurant uh, association. I saw Adrian Cummins on about this as well. It's affecting trade because people are saying, well, I might go out. Well, I can't go out because yeah. I won't be able to get a taxi home. Yes, and, and then for young people, God forgive me, if they come out of a late bear or come out of a, a disco or whatever, and they're diminished as well. So said, everybody's on the street for three and four hours. That's where rows and antisocial behavior happens because frustration, tiredness, everything else. So they promised for decades to give uh, you know, no VAT or no VRT on, on paper carriers for publicans. Never did it. Lip service. They set out to destroy the pubs. They set out to destroy rural land that we see. They're now set out to destroy when they want to go cashless, they want to control us completely and utterly. You see the flower match, you see the GA, founded in the bedrock of rural land and now won't, won't accept cash at games. It's yeah, but that's the, or, that's the, um, we we had um, Anime McHugh on, that's their decision to do it though. You can't point that finger of blame at the government, the ploughing oh, committee themselves the, decided to do it. No, no, 
yes, she blamed Kelly Stapley, which is a total uh, falsehood. I mean, any Mamie Hughes, a formidable lady. I've been at Cow Matches all my life, where there were storms and floods and God knows what, and seven issues of health and safety. She could easily have said, we stop children under eight going to matches, that that'd be the first area, of, you know, if there's any danger. Naked greed from Anna Mae McHugh and her daughter and her association and a kick in the teeth for the pillars of Porter and Riley over the decades. The GA found in rural land is hardly was a symbol of resistance before, the, before we took up um, weapons in the War of Independence. And now the GA, I mean, an 83-year-old man, a publican actually, uh, went to a match in the neighbouring village, uh, three miles from your own village, my village, um, six weeks ago. And couldn't get into a, a Southport GA match because he had no, oh, he, he had no gas. It's, it's just hard, it's heartbreaking. It's, hard, it's, it's really is heartbreaking. And of course, the, the, the drinks. The back of his car, sitting in the car, until um, an employee of his arrived, he rang him and someone got him in with the car. It's disgraceful. I know. And, and of course, according to Drinks Industry Ireland, they say that the government need to reduce the excise duty. I was looking into this yesterday. We have the, we're the third highest excise duty in Europe on spirits. We're the highest yes. excise duty on wines and we're yes. the second highest on uh, beer. So the government have a role here to try and reduce those excise duties and, duties and the knock-on would be that the drink on trade would be a little bit cheaper. That might encourage some people back. Joe, I blame here. First of all, I blame the Vintners Association. I'm not talking about your chairperson there. The Vintners Association actually sold out. The IFA, all the big unions are sold out in their people. They get into the cosy cartel of government and the different conferences and been appointed to boards and everything else. They've shamefully abandoned their people. Same as the Catholic Church did it in, during the COVID. Closed the churches and the people. For God's sake, we're the quietest people in the world. Put up with this nonsense. With the highest ESP prices, with the highest fuel prices, all taxes and energy. Deputy Michael Collins and I and the Hilly Rays put down a motion there in, 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 in late June that the government would not put back the excess that they'd taken off to give excess relief there. Fuel was so high and just voted down when they got, when they got 17 votes to vote with us and the fuel has gone up twice so far in the last uh, three months and gone up again the 1st of October. And at this point in time, and you see the prices now again are up to 160, 165. Yeah, it's rising. You know, and it's and, got, and September, there's another increase in the excess in September. Excise. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be back up. It'll be ba- it'll be back up at the two euro, which is where it was when they decided to cut the excise duty before we knew. And, and the people that put up with that are worse. Just and the political party machines and the supporters that put up with that are worse. We're we're complete patsies in this country, taking for a ride. No matter what it is, kids going back to college now can't get accommodation. It's tartness, uh, um, prices. They have the Uc- in Limerick, they have the whole, uh, 2,000 places filled up with Ukrainians. I mean, our own people come last and everything. Why do governments that are meant to represent the Constitution, the people here, want to represent, uh, Europe, want to represent, uh, WEF and everything else and to help our people? That's what okay. I'm did that, what I'm uh, did that back when he came to Ireland. Okay, just, just a final uh, point and a question to you from Independent Councillor Declan Hurley. He says, would Matty agree that an audit of rural Ireland needs to take place to measure <laughs> to measure the impact of government actions in recent years, particularly the demise of rural pubs, etc., and come up with additional supports for r- rural communities? Sadly, 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 cutting in a bit faster than I'm in, to Darren agree to the Lord. That was a song about the cash. Listen, and in temporary, they don't want an audit. They want to close down rural Ireland. An audit, for what? It's too late. It's 15, 20 years too late. 
they've done so much damage. Like the farmers now, one time when I was young, there were ten of us around the table at home. Now farming is a lowly occupation. We farmers in Tipperary now own 20,000 acres. The ranchers and the landlords are back under different guys. It's a dictator, you said. It's too late. They have, this is deliberate policy to destroy the fabric of rural Ireland and they went on the way. And all that now is like use them for bushes or side of paper because uh, quite simply it's only been so vulgar but that's what it is. It was too late for all this. Oh, we got to leave it there. They've indoctrinated and closed down, closed down our country okay. and oh, sadly people go out and vote for these monsters or do this damage to rural Ireland. Okay, well everyone's entitled to, to their votes oh, I yeah. suppose, Maddie. Listen, we got to leave it there. Thank you for that Thank and you, uh, uh, thanks for uh, joining us. I'm still thinking about the first, first Bush Green News as, as a toilet paper. Uh, that is uh, independent Tipperary uh, TD, uh, Matty McGrath. Court today on C103. Now, a coalition of more than 30 environmental groups has called for an urgent review of the rules around the movement of young trees between Ireland the UK and the EU. To explain why, I'm joined by Andrew St. Ledger and Andrew is with the uh, Woodland League. Uh, good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and How are you doing? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme and I have to put my hand up to, to say I was really surprised to read that Quilta send native tree seeds to Holland and then they return as saplings uh, for, for planting. And yes. I'm assuming this is where the danger lies. They could be exposed to disease when they're out yes. of the country. Is, is, is that where the problem it is? is. It, it is part of the problem and it's something that shocked us. You know, we're, you know, over 20 years in this arena promoting native trees and trying to raise awareness of the value of them. And we were shocked to realise that this, this is what's been going on. We don't know the extent of it. A parliamentary question will have to be asked. But um, it, it is quite shocking. Uh, the other issue, related issue, is um, when um, there are years of um, where there aren't enough acorns collected. Now, this is you know um, to to do with native woodland schemes. Okay. The native woodland schemes have come in in the last twenty years. Um, the department has allowed for um, Danish, French, um, Dutch, and UK oaks to be imported for planting in native woodland schemes. So that's that's another problem, another issue. And I suppose the third element to this, which is coming down the line, we've also recently um, been informed that the, the, you know, there's an upsurge in people wanting to help the environment and uh, there's an upsurge in interest in native woodlands, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful. The problem is the best of, you know, people with the best of intentions are potentially jeopardizing our future, um, what to call the health of our native plants and trees. So just in regard to fruit trees for pollination, and it's, you know, being encouraged by the national, what's it, the, the pollination plan, there's an upsurge in interest in planting uh, fruit trees on farms and, you know, in, in people who have land, small holders which again is fantastic. But what we've heard now is there's not enough uh, rootstock in the country to satisfy the demand. And there's probably going to be more demand with the new acre scheme that's come in, coming in down the line, where farmers are being encouraged to do something more for biodiversity, including fruit trees. 
So we, what we've discovered is that thousands of fr- seeds have been sent to New Zealand to grow fruit, you know, fruit trees that are going to be for two seasons um, and for those trees to be imported from New Zealand. So we're also facing that, that threat. So we're even com- we're even going further afield than than, the, than the, e- the EU, and we've discussed yeah. on this program, um, Andrew, the issue of um, ash dieback. And yeah. let's not forget that was that was brought in by imported trees. It, it was, and um, your lo- a local environment group, friends of the Irish Environment, recently called on the minister, Minister McConnellog, to reform the, our forestry disease and pest regulations. And they highlighted the fact that, yeah, 30,000 ash saplings were brought in, you know, carrying ash dieback. And, that, and that's what has devastated our ash, our native ash as well. And is, I mean, is, is it has true? Wiped out. Is it true? Well, we, it also, we, sorry, not, is evidence. It's also evidence that, you know, our plants regulations are not, do not work. They're not working. But on the ash dieback, is, is it true that we could lose 90% of the existing ash? It is, yes. 90%? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. We, which again, you know, people don't realise it's not just the loss of the tree, it's the habitat that tree provided for our wildlife. You know, up to 90 different insects are related with um, ash species that need it as a host. So we're, we're seriously devastating our, like, one of our best canopy uh, trees, you know, after, mm. after the oak, beautiful tree. And we're also losing the biodiversity value, so we're defore- we're um, and we're deforesting, and all all down to you know importing ash with disease that came from uh, Poland. And Quill to say, you know, the practice of sending seeds abroad uh, for propagation, they say it's not uncommon in the wider nursery sector. I mean, yeah, well, that 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 doesn't sit well with me. That you know, just because others do it doesn't mean you have to do it. It, it, it exactly. almost feels a bit it, like that, doesn't it? It does, and I mean, they should be lead. They, you know, the, if they were doing their job as the state forestry company, you know, they should be leading. They should be ensuring biosecurity. They should be at the forefront of plant biosecurity in this country, not jeopardizing our future. You know, stock, and also don't forget. Again, we don't know where these trees that were sent to Europe, we don't know where they've been planted out. We need to know. Um, we're, we're looking at potential time bombs in our native woodlands, people who, in good faith, have planted native woodlands, who got involved, are, have planted stock that potentially is carrying disease. Have we discovered... This, this other- comes back to, sorry, it comes back to, again... The types of diseases that are, there are 396 identified forest pests on this island. 44 of these are non, possibly, probably it says non-native to Ireland. That's a recent study by O'Hanlon in 2022. They're looking to establish baseline information, you know, to start trying to track um, these, these potential uh, time bombs. So they're diseases and, uh, that have come in from other well, countries. about 44 diseases ha- well, have come in that are not native. In other words, our plants and trees ha- have protection from our native diseases. Do you know what I mean? They have some they have familiarity so their immune systems can fight them. But when a completely new disease or pathogen comes in, 
the 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 trees are not um, their immune systems are not able to deal with them and this is what's happened to ash with the dieback Okay, a couple of people are asking, I think, and really scratching their heads about that opening comment I made about Quilta sending the the seeds. It's uh, to, yeah. it, it, do, do, why do they send them? Why do they send them to the Netherlands? Can can we not just raise the saplings here? Uh, they should be, and as I said, we always were of the belief that one one of the good things Quilta was doing was growing, uh, you know, uh, growing like the seed collectors all over the all over the country, again, acting in good faith. There are teams of seed collectors who collect the native seed from different counties from what recognised seed stands, which is really good. So that when you're planting in Cork, the, the trees you're planting are sub- the, the what's called the provenance is, is supposedly uh, Cork uh, stock. Yeah. which are the most adapted native trees to to, to the area. Yeah, yeah. If so they local. have a passport. They, they actually have a plant passport. Now, the problem here is when where it gets murky is, you know, the, the seed now we, we understand is some of it is being sent abroad. And when it comes back, it's still being given that same passport. But, so... Where you the, say the, it shouldn't because it was abroad for... It for, shouldn't. For, yeah, for it's a year. Been uh, for by, by the way, one or two years. When you and, when uh, you mentioned that there was a sh- the, the, you know in years where there's a, a shortfall of native acorns, wh- what are the solutions to that? Well, in the article, I put proposed that we just wait. We wait until we have enough. Okay. In other words, it, there's no panic to start. You know, planting oak. We can wait a, co- a year or two. We can plant our pioneer species to prepare the ground, to prepare the conditions, which is their job. We can plant the birch, the alder, even willow into sites, put more of that in until we have the oak. But there's, as I say, there's this kind of uh, urgency now with corporate involvement where they, they're, you know, their corporates are, again, I'm not sure if people are aware of this, but there's a scheme called the, um, the Woodland Environment Fund which means if you plant a native woodland, uh, for every hectare you plant of native woodland, the department will match you to a corporate entity who will pay you 1,000 on top of your grant. You get 1,000 euros tax-free per hectare only for the first year, and the corporate gets to have the kudos of you know, using that in their corporate social responsibility basically for, um, you know, brownie points. For, I think, about 10 years, they get to use the project as the greenwash. So the corporates want oak. They want want oak as sexy. They want oak in the ground. It also is better for, you know, what do you call it, PR for the departments that so many oaks have been planted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, numbers, yeah, yeah. The numbers, it's a numbers game. Okay. Now, All right. I've got, I, I'm over, unfortunately, I'm over on uh, time. Uh, but people can, people well, can, I think people should get onto their yeah, local and, politicians. And, and start and, educating themselves. And, and you've got a great website, the, the, the well, Woodland League. People yeah, want to find we, out more. We will be putting out information on how to, our Forest in a Box project, which Ted Cook, our co-founder, based from Rukum, yeah, yeah, no one been, well. Trialing and advocating for okay. it. 
really believe there's an opportunity okay. for that. Okay, we'll, we might do a follow-up with that. In the meantime, Andrew, I really uh, appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Thank no, you for thank that. thank you very much Thanks for, for joining us. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. That is um, Andrew St. Ledger of uh, the uh, Woodland uh, League. Don't forget Ireland are taking on South Africa in the Stade de France on September the 23rd and the reason we're talking about it uh, a month out from that match uh, is we want to offer you the chance to win the ultimate rugby experience and it all kicks off on next Monday morning at 8.15 here on C103. There'll be return flights. We have three nights accommodation booked in uh, Paris and we also have gold category match tickets and they're important because they come with hospitality uh, to get you to see Ireland versus South Africa. So listen here to win your way there and uh, we'll give you further details next Monday with Ken when he's back from his holidays 8.15 on C103. Now some of your thoughts coming into the programme. Uh, Eddie in Bandon reacting to my interview with Andrew St. Ledger who was talking about the ash dieback and the fact that Quilta sends seeds abroad uh, the saplings then are brought back into this country. Of course the danger is that they can bring such disease back in with them and we all know what's going on with the ash dieback and it's, I still can't get my head around that we're going to lose 90% of our ash trees because of ash dieback because once that fungal infection gets in to an area that's it and I think every single part of the country now has uh, ash dieback. Uh, every single county has it. Um, Eddie and Bandon said what government bodies are doing in relation to trees and listening to Andrew St. Ledger is absolutely disgraceful. Eddie points out that if a farmer pollutes a river they'll end up getting fined but it's it's like Quilta can make their own decisions and nothing can be done uh, about it. Uh, he agrees wholeheartedly with what Andrew had to say on the programme uh, today. And Dennis joins me on the comment line in Castle Magner. Uh, good morning to you Dennis. Good morning. You were listening to uh, Matty McGrath who had a lot to say this morning and a lot of giving out about what's going on in uh, rural Ireland. You're a farmer, you live in rural Ireland so he's very much talking about you and your way of life. Yeah, but Matty, uh, he's, uh, he's done a lot of giving out for the last 20 years. He, he was in between the farm. Now, I'm not him personally because I never met him. But he's at the other side of the white line and... Um, it is very easy to give out when you're the other side of the white line, give out about everything. And yeah, these independents now and the men above and they're genuine people, they have a chance now to form a party if they have that concern about rural and see what, and put their money where their mouth is in the next election. Because I'm sure they will get a lot of support. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I know there is that there is the rural independent group. They're they're a small enough uh, group, um, but there is talk now. We only did an interview a couple of weeks ago with the Irish Farmers Journal talking about that new rural independent party. But they seem to be the the rural independents that are there don't want to seem to be involved in in that new party. So your point is that we need all anyone who's representing rural Ireland. They need to collectively get together. There's no point in uh, independence uh, achieve very little unless they hold a balance of power and that's yeah. very seldom. Yeah. You're the Healy Reyes, you're another man there in Dublin. He was... Uh, Tony Gregory. Was, Tony Gregory, a great man. Yeah. A very great man, did an awful lot for the poor and he he did a deal with Charlie at the time and a lot of people scoffed at it but it was a great deal. It was a great deal for the government. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it was, a great, it was a great deal for inner city Dublin. He got millions at the time. But they, they needed that. Yeah, yeah. They needed that investment in there, you know, and it was a good deal. But they are about the only you know, Jackie Healy area. Well, he, he was a part of the for time. It was fair enough. Um, it, it, they achieve very little being independent. And it, as my point is, 
it's grand to see you look, uh, give out about everything. And we'll just go back to the pubs, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone can can stop the decline of pubs. Because you go back to the 70s, there was a pub to every 250 people. We had too many. Well, we had a right good time. And then, of course, the drink driving came in, yeah. and people now are under way more pressure. I mean, if they have to drive to work in the morning, there's a chance they, 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 they could be specialized. Yeah. So they only go up on weekends, and they're, they're under a lot more pressure now as far as money is concerned. And it's much more expensive to go. I mean, the cost of drink now is... Now, the, the drinks industry will say it's excise duty and, you know, they'll, they'll keep passing on. It's not their fault. But there is, we do, we do. Our, our, I was shocked when I was looking at the figures for how much we pay on excise duty on beer, on wine and on spirits with some of the highest in Europe. So, you know, our drink is expensive. Oh, it, yeah. And uh, well, I, I, I drink myself. I don't know about <laughs> it. I, I like it to cheaper. But I don't. See, to have a rural island, like, if you go back 30 years ago, there were way more people living in rural Ireland. And not only in Ireland, every other country in Europe. We are getting way more urbanised. You know, there's less and less people living in, 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 in rural Ireland, in every country in the world. And that yeah. suits government. Pardon? That suits government to have people all living in close well, confines. Probably economically, too. Economics coming to two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, Okay, post offices do We have more post offices per head of population than any country in, in Europe. And they, they, they are no longer viable, like, you know? Yeah, but when you, when the last pub closes, Dennis, it can take oh. the soul out of an area. Oh, it does, it does. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think Matthew McGrath or anyone can, I know, can they do anything about it? And I would be, I don't get me along, I'm not a pioneer. But yeah, I know, and I know the point you're making. We need a strong party to represent rural Ireland with enough TDs in government to make change. Yeah, well, there has some there, but they have no say when they're independent. Yeah, and they call me these independent. Give you out about everything. Now, to be honest, you know the old government we have at the moment. I know there's a housing crisis. They were landed with COVID. They were landed with Brexit. They were landed with the war in Ukraine. You know, if you were told that five years ago, you'd say, like, are you gone off your rocker? Mm. You know? And they're they are, they are, they are probably doing their best. And we have to be, like, uh, ten years ago, this country was on its knees broke. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for now sure. We have, we, we have billions, uh, you know, and, you know, they must be doing something right, like. Yeah, well, corporation tax, income tax, uh, we yeah. have nearly full employment, yeah, yeah. We have full employment. Yeah. You can forget about I mean, you can get a plumber or an electrician. I mean, 10 years ago, there was an electrician in my yard and he had to sign up in his jeep and he said, that's coming out for that. He said, I have no work. That uh, was about nine years ago. And now you can't get an electrician or a plumber for love, no money. Oh, to be here, they get a parish priest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, Dennis, thank you for that. Good food for thought, but thanks for joining us. Uh, have a good day. Good morning to you. That is uh, Dennis uh, joining us from uh, Castle Magna, taking a completely different uh, stance to, you know, agreeing with that, Matty, but saying, you know, look, if we do want to get serious about rural Ireland and trying to maintain rural Ireland into the future, do we need a strong political party? And it's been done in Holland with the Farmers Party and they did extremely well in the last election. But do we need all of the rural independence to 
all collectively to get together and do we need to, do we need the formation of a new political party? Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Your thoughts welcomed on that, please. Jack uh, is not a fan of the government. He reckons they've got the country in chaos. Well, Dennis doesn't agree with you, uh, Jack. Uh, the Irish people don't have to take this lying down. Jack isn't happy with the way the government is is running the country. And then on oh, when I mentioned about the cars being stolen and what can the Gardaí do, and you know the frustration, you could sense the frustration on behalf of rank and file Gardaí who go after a car. They know it's a car that's on their system that's either been stolen or has been involved in robbery, or has been involved in a burglary, and they start chasing it. And then lo and behold, head office will get onto them and say, "Step it down." Don't follow them. There's a health and safety, you know, for fear that somebody in in another car is going to get killed. Are the people in the car that you're chasing going to get killed and, and they get stood down? Somebody says, Patricia, if a, if they, if a car that can chase down a stolen car and chase them down the wrong way on a motorway, what can they do to stop the stolen uh, car short of shooting the tyres out? Uh, what can they actually do? Well, what, what we, the reason that we mentioned it today was something that happened yesterday in, uh, in Dublin on the M50 where they, where they went after, now, now it was specially trained guard, the drivers chased the criminals, it was a stolen uh, Yaris and they chased them on the M50 and they, in the how they ended up stopping the car was they put out one of those stinger devices so that would be the same thing as shooting the tyres out uh, wouldn't it and then they arrested two juveniles and an adult in that car but they were pursued by specially trained Garda drivers. Do we need more specially trained Garda drivers and do we need more of those stinger devices that when the criminals take off we can put these stinger devices down and actually stop them. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking new calls. C103 Jobs. Community employment positions are available in Kilworth, in Formoy and in Araglan. If you'd like more information, you can email michelle at Formoy. Uh, imageCE.ie. That's where you'll get more uh, information. An experienced legal secretary is wanted in Bandon. Now, it is a full time job. Cover letter and your CV, please, to Ted Hallisey at HPLaw.ie. Tria Oil Company are recruiting for a rigid truck driver. It's for Cork City and the North Cork areas. ADR experience preferred, but full training will be provided. CVs please to careers at tria, T-R-I-A dot I-A-E. And the Lodge and Spa Ninchidani have vacancies for spa therapists, receptionists, breakfast and dinner waiting staff. They also have vacancies for a chef and a breakfast supervisor. CVs please to E. Shepherd at inchidoneyisland.com or you can call them 023 882 You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by simply going online now. You can go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Parents and workers are reeling at the news this morning that a long established preschool facility in the north side of the city has been closed with immediate effect. To discuss how the news has been received, I'm joined by local Sinn Féin councillor, and that is Mick Nugent. Good morning to you, Mick. 
Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, it's the Thanks. Before Five Family Centre in Churchfield. So that's what we're talking about. OK, firstly, a bit of background. How many workers and roughly how many children do you know do they cater for? Yeah, I've been talking to, um, talking to parents and there's 15 um, staff there and told upwards to 100, at least 100 children availing. Okay, that's a shocking, shocking line. Uh, we'll get Mick back. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll get him back on on the ordinary mobile. We were trying to do it on uh, WhatsApp. WhatsApp is great when it works, but if you get any kind of a bad signal, uh, that's what happens. It breaks up completely. So we'll get John Paul to get Mick back on the uh, phone. And while we're waiting for Mick to come through, just to remind you that tomorrow in our Ours to Protect uh, series, tomorrow we're speaking with the Irish Bee Concert conservation project. They're a group of volunteers who are working to increase the survival of all species of the native Irish bee. So that's a really, really important uh, job. So we'll chat about that on our Hours to Protect uh, feature tomorrow. Now, hopefully, fingers crossed, we've got Mick back on a clearer line. Uh, Good morning, Mick. Sorry about that. No, you're grand, Patricia. I I was asking you to explain to us how many workers and do you know how many, roughly how many children are catered for at this family centre? Yeah, there's 14 workers there and upwards to 100 children um, availing of services there at the preschool and there's a creche and after school and there's other um, other things going on there as well, uh, Patricia. Uh, and was the news expected or did it literally come like a bolt out of the blue? It came just as a bolt out of the blue. Um, I mean, they're advertising in July on their Facebook page for places. So people had availed of that offer um, and were taking up spaces. So... It can be a complete surprise, a shock. Um, Patricia, I think it's fair to say, like before five would be almost an institution, I think, in the north side area. Um, I suppose generations have, have, have gone there, you know. Um, so there's a lot of upset about it, you know, um, a lot of upset about, about it. And I know at the, at the moment, the next hour or so, staff are meeting with their trade union representatives and we're hoping to meet staff after that as well and in the next couple of days, you know. Um, yeah, because let's not forget there's a cohort of staff uh, who are losing their job on top of uh, what it is doing for families. But, you know, I, I read I read in one of the papers this morning, I think this centre is is there uh, like for 50 years, you know, for five decades. So it's, it's, yeah. it's very possible that adults today who were bringing their children to this childcare facility would have maybe gone there themselves as children? Yes, of course, yeah. I was, I was talking to my colleague, Councillor Kenny Collins, yesterday about it, and he went there, like, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's it. And he's, Kenneth's well into, Kenneth's, uh, he's not as old as me, but he's well into his 40s, you know. So, yeah, it's very, it's, you know, and even the board, um, when they sent out their statement, said it's uh, their beloved centre. And I think it's fair to say that, that it is, um, it's, it is, well regarded, is well loved. It's really, it's, it's, so that's kind of tells you the upset that's there, you know. Within the community. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's footage was on there on social media last year of an RT done a programme there uh, going way back because it was seen almost as a groundbreaking um, ahead of its time facility over 40 years ago. I mean, the north side was even, was expanding at the time, you know, um, Back it fifty years ago, so it's been there that long. It's quite close to parochial hall and leisure world, like so. It, it would be a big loss, and 
it just came very late in the day for staff and for um, parents. Because I'm, I'm assuming due to, probably due to reopen next Monday, was it for the, for the school term? Exactly. So people are left in, people have been left in the, in the lurch, you know, and I, I think it's poor form, really, in one regard, from, from the board, you know. I mean, it mentions things in its letter about finance and um, coping issues and new regulations. Um, but they left very late in the day, you know, because the community would have rallied, you know, myself and Kenneth and Thomas Gould TD would have got involved like we did in Farnry last year. You might recall the stepping stones. I do, yeah. In Farnry yeah. last year. We had enough time there to get involved and get a campaign going and... Um, and that was kept to open a new provider, you know. Um, yeah, because so it's disappointing, yeah, you know? but I know. I mean, only last week on on the program, I spoke with uh, Elaine Dunn, and, and Elaine represents uh, Early Childcare Ireland, and she was talking to us about creches and preschools, the ones that had closed, the ones that will close, and she was talking about the ECI, the government funded scheme. She said it simply isn't covering costs, so it didn't come as a surprise when I saw the statement from uh, before five. To to say uh, that you know they it fin- the financial challenges. I mean, the government need to step up here. Absolutely, the government needs to step up. Um, childcare and particularly community childcare is so um, essential um, for people. You know, in terms of I suppose being able to avail of, of jobs and stay in jobs. You know, and the state, the government needs to needs to recognise that. You know, um, and and support and and intervene where where required and where needed. You know. Um, no, just to say that, Patricia, I just, just to let you know, um, might be breaking news to you, I did get, uh, I did get a text, um, from another provider who's got, um, other places in Cork and up the East Coast who are interested, who are interested in taking over. Okay. Um, so we're, myself and Kenneth are trying to initiate contact now with the board of before five because they were trying to make contact with the, with the board, this other provider. So we're doing that now this morning. Oh, that would um, be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, no, and I think it would be beholden on the board now. It did say in this letter um, to stakeholders um, that they would um, facilitate an alternative uh, provider at some stage in the future, but we would, it's more urgent than that now. So the board now need to um, talk to this other provider that's interested. So hopefully, hopefully they'd be good news. But yeah, because I mean we've was. we've already been contacted by one mother who's desperately scrambling uh, to find uh, preschool, and, and of course it does after school as well. So you're talking about people yeah. who who whose who, whose children go there so that, and let's be honest, it's mainly women, so that they they can go to work. I mean, there's people now looking at will I have to give up my job? Will I have to reduce my hours? That's the thing, that's the thing. So, you know, it is really a bit of a disaster for people um, and people are scrambling around and, you know, other providers have no spaces. Some only have a few. Um, and they said, it's just something for the wider community. I mean, they've done parent and children classes there. There was actually ad- adult education um, in before five. There was city council used it for community meetings. It was just a real resource for the community. It was just a lot more than just a preschool and the, and the credit. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know, but look, hopefully this this development might, um, might progress now and we might have good news yeah. in the near and future, who, you know. Mick, who owns the centre, the physical building? As far as I know, but it's over 40 years there. As far as I know, it's a, it's a community asset. Is it? Okay. Know? Yeah. It's yeah. a community it, it, asset. It literally is a community centre. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and this announcement, does, does that mean that all the other things that go on there will all stop? Uh, yes. It oh. would. It would. It would. It would. It would. Because all the activities will be under the four or five boards um, remish, like, you know. So I'm not sure. Would anybody else um, know that's a question? If... You know, if there was no other provider taking over there who would have the keys and who would be able to use utilize the building, right? But right now, let's hope we have a development here um, and hopefully over the next couple of days there might be news there, you know? Well, uh, certainly certainly true. to get the childcare side of it and the after school. Yes. The, that's, you know, at the moment, that's probably the most important from the local people's point of view. Exactly, exactly. So hopefully Patricia will keep working on that. Okay, and, okay, uh, and, we'll will, you know. and will you please, yeah, keep in contact with us on yeah. it, Mick. Thank you for that. No problem. And uh, thanks Thank uh, for joining yeah. us. That is uh, Councillor Mick uh, Nugent talking about what, you know, it really, and I think it's just the suddenness of the announcement uh, when people got the email to say with immediate effect it is uh, closing and it was obviously due to open next uh, Monday for the new school year. So you'll have, have all the little ones who are going to be going in for preschool and all looking forward to that. But then you've got the children who will be going to the after school so the parents can go to work. They're all going to be uh, affected. And at this late stage trying to scramble to find a preschool or a childcare facility. We've done countless uh, interviews with Early Childcare Ireland about people just not having enough childcare facilities, not enough creche uh, facilities. And when I spoke with Elaine Dunn last week on this issue, you know, we were highlighting one particular case of one uh, woman trying to get childcare facilities so she'd go back to work after maternity leave. She had to ring 20 different facilities before she got sorted out. Now there was a baby involved there and I know it is harder to get the, the rooms where the babies go uh, they, because of the staffing at levels, the level of staffing that they need for those baby rooms. Not all crash facilities provide those but it can be a real, real headache for people and I'm not being sexist when I say it does mainly fall on women. It does. Uh, it's usually the the, the woman is, is uh, the one uh, if the childcare doesn't work out that has to give up the job and you know we, we need people at work now uh, more than ever particularly with full employment and other industries looking for uh, workers so this is a problem that's not just affecting the people who send their children to this particular childcare facility there's a knock-on effect for other industries and let's not forget the 14 staff members uh, who obviously are all absolutely uh, devastated. Uh, I read, for example, that some some of the workers, I think one of the workers at least, is there 30 years. I mean, they, they really do sound like a wonderful community facility where everybody knows everybody and, a, you know, a great staff uh, and all of them now, as we speak, are speaking with the board of 
before five to find out what will happen to them. Now, within the childcare industry, there is an issue with uh, recruitment, so I'm, I'm sure that they will pick up work, but uh, will they pick up work close to where they live is another thing only time will tell. So if we get any more on that, uh, we will bring it uh, to you. We did have contact with one businessman who has a number of other businesses in the area, a gentleman by the name of uh, Colin Tobin. We did ask him uh, to join us, but he declined the invitation to join us, but he did say that we could mention that he certainly was putting up a legitimate uh, offer. He was willing to buy the business keep it open and honour the kids' places along with the staff uh, jobs. Now, if he could do all of that in such a short period of time, I don't know, but that's another offer that appears to be on the table. But then you have Mick Nugent talking about a provider that provides childcare in other parts of the country is willing to come in and look at it as well. But it's the timing of all of this. It's Thursday today and next Monday it's due to open its doors for the new school term. It doesn't give a lot of time to dot the I's and cross the T's, does it? It's been a bit of a weird summer weather-wise, but could that weird weather be the reason why bananas are growing in West Cork? Frederica Hoffner joins me from Ralph's Country House in Baltimore to talk about their homegrown bananas. Uh, Good morning to you, Frederica. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I suppose you need to take us back because you didn't suddenly plant a banana tree. When was this banana tree planted? Um... Well, I have to say, my mother kind of looked after the garden as Royce okay. in, in Baltimore, and she planted it about 25 to 30 years ago, but primarily her intention was not for the banana fruit, it was the foliage. She's very much into her foliage um, and the greenery in the um, inner garden of the hotel. And then, yeah, so this year, suddenly it's making a... Oh, okay. So, so twenty five, thirty years ago, it's been it's been growing away fine. But this is the. Have you seen flowers on it over the years? No, never. Well, two years ago, um, it made kind of a very small flower. Okay. Um, but very insignificant compared to what it is doing this time around. You know. Okay, so talk to us about what it's doing this time around. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's actually producing little bananas. They're about um, 15 centimetres, 20 centimetres long. And, um, and there's, um, in total, on the branches, there's two um, flowers coming down. And now we're I'm just waiting, basically, what happened or what is going to happen and just um, observe them and take it from there but as I figure out the last thing that drops eventually down is actually the flower itself Okay, it's a bit of a research project as well for me Okay and and do you think it is down to the weather this summer? I think we had a very kind of peculiar weather pattern like in the sense that we had this extreme heat in May, June yeah. and now um, July and August so humid and warm um, at the same time, and bananas do like humidity and a lot of water. So, and I think it's getting that this year. Yeah, it's just the perfect uh, conditions. And, <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I don't know how long a banana tree has to be plant, planted before it gives fruit. Have you, have you any indication about that? I don't, I'm not too sure myself, no. but I know that the stem that it, that it is producing the fruit on, once it has fruited, that will actually die down. Okay. And then it does from the base, they do constantly new plants or new stems. 
So do, do they look like a banana we'd, we'd buy inside the supermarket? Or Except that they're green and smaller. Green and smaller. But will they, yeah. ri- will they ripen, do you think? I don't know. I okay. hope. <laughs> I hope. Honestly, I, I do hope. You know, I, I'm kind of doing a bit of research. And if the weather stays mild enough, I'm sure, you know, we try something out anyway. And, and, and then will you try and taste them? Um, I definitely you cannot eat them th- straight off of the the tree. Um, they oh. need to be processed, like cooked or baked or some sort. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're not edible. Oh, um, all right. But but they're, they're, so they're 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 cooking bananas. They're cooking bananas. Yeah, right, they, okay. they wouldn't be like our yellow bananas in okay. the shop. Okay, yeah, so and it's a wild version, so they it wouldn't be a cultivar. So apparently, somebody was telling me the inside is full of seeds, and they could taste quite bitter. Ah, because uh, my so, next question was going to be: Will we see them on the menu at Ralph's? Uh, we try, maybe, nah. <laughs> maybe we come up with something. But um, you know, I have to find something. I don't know if you can even process it any further, but that's kind of where I'm doing a lot of researching yeah. and googling, and you know, hopefully but find a, something. But amazing. Frederica to see them grow it's fascinating it's totally fascinating and it's also fascinating because it uncurls each leaf and it's kind of this this bulky thing and under each leaf it curls it up and then there's this baby hand of bananas kind of coming forward and it goes on and on like this and and I'm assuming someone had to do a double take when when you spotted them first I actually did yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating though, you know. But it's your it's your mum who's responsible for. It's my mother she's got, the, has, she's got the green fingers. Mum has the green fingers, and she gets all the credit for the garden. You know. Ha, have you many exotic plants? There's there's loads of exotic plants. Um, the courtyard of the hotel is extremely wind sheltered. Yeah. And um, gets a lot of sun, and there is some quite nice exotic plants there. Does 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 mum spend a lot of time in the garden? <laughs> Every minute she gets. <laughs> Every minute she gets, she spends in her garden, and I mean that's she developed the garden forty years ago when we moved here. Yeah, and they started Royce, and um, there was nothing there except a few mature trees like um, ash and beeches, and now underneath the planting is all kind of very lush with um, fern trees and the banana and hydrangeas. So yes, every minute she gets, she's in there. Well done, well, well, well done. And what what Ralph's is named after your late dad, wasn't it? That was your dad's name. That was my dad's yeah. name. Yeah. What, yeah. what brought Gertrude and Ralph to beautiful Baltimore? To beautiful Baltimore, um, Dad was lived lived in in Ireland in during the fifties, and he was overlooking the apprenticeship program for um, watchmakers. Okay. And then he always loved it and had always planned to come back. And then in 1979, um, he convinced mum that they should have a try and a go at it. And we moved to Baltimore and um, and then started um, Rolf and developed it from there. And it's going quite successfully over the years. So your dad went from being a watchmaker... To hotelier. To hotelier. Wow. Well, well. <laughs> yeah. Ah, wow! It's 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 one of those lovely, lovely stories. And and what and what and uh, do you go back to Germany much? I mean, I can I can hear the accent still. Um, you still have the German accent. Do you go home much, or are you spot more home? No, just on holidays. Yeah, I, I yeah. just go back on holidays, and um, the German accent probably comes from um, 
I was 13A when we moved here, and then I speak German every single day with my children, which I bring up bilingual. Okay. So he, I haven't yeah. quite lost yeah. it yet. No, no, know? no. You've, you've yeah. absolutely perfect English. And come here. What's how? What's the summer been like? Is there a lot of tourists around Baltimore? It was a great summer. Good. Um, Tourist-wise, it was fantastic. And then on a personal level, it was brilliant for us because we got two um, awards. Um, we got um, the Prestige Award for kind of the best rural hotel for 23-24. Wow. Which was great. And then the Expert Choice Award uh, we got as well, which is kind of the Travel Business Award, which they base it on the review that travellers give to businesses. And we got that award this year as well. Congratulations. So, so it was, yeah, quite a good year for us. Yeah. Uh, those awards are great, aren't they? It's, it's just great to get acknowledged. It's 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 brilliant to get acknowledged, you know, um, especially if you're there for years and years and years and occasionally to get a mentioning like that. Mm. It's, it's quite good, yeah. And you're speaking about the summer as if it's in the past. Is, is summer gone? Oh God, for no, th- no. It's not, no, it's fine, sorry. No, it's not intended at all. No, I think it will be a good kind of prolonged season. Yeah, yeah. Um, just going by the bookings, I think um, September looks very good. Do you have a lot of overseas visitors? Um we have overseas business. They've luckily back, um, but primarily we have the whole market. The Irish, yeah, yeah. The Irish, which is a fantastic market. Yeah, I think people. We, I think th- that was one thing. I think COVID did it got us into staycationing, and people realised what a beautiful country we have, and there's so much to experience and and to visit. Absolutely, I totally right, Patricia. Yeah, and we have a beautiful country, and I think we should be really proud of it. Because it is a gem and there's so and the diversity that 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 Ireland has. You know, West Cork kind of the lushness of West Cork versus Connemara that has the beauty and the, the roughness but stunningly beautiful equally. Mm. And I think that makes it so fascinating. Um and then the mountains and everything. And it is the uniqueness now that they're growing bananas in Ross Country House <laughs> in Baltimore. Exactly. Okay. And we'll see where it takes us. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, thanks a million for talking to us, uh, Frederica. And uh, once again, congratulations on, on your awards. Pass on our best wishes to your mother, Gertrude, on growing those bananas and long may they flourish. <laughs> and thank uh, you, thanks, thanks for joining us. God bless. Uh, thank you. Bye bye, bye bye. What a lovely lady that is, Frederica Hoffner of Rolf's Country House in Baltimore. If you're passing, pop in and take a look at their bananas. Has anybody else managed to successfully grow? Uh, but I mean, these are growing bananas in the out, in outside. I mean, I'm assuming, could you grow them if you had a greenhouse and the heating condition was uh, right? I don't think I've ever come across somebody growing bananas. We might try and make a note of that and ask uh, Peter Dowdell about it. I'd be interested to get uh, Peter Dowdell's uh, take on it. 0818 103 103. Let me take a look at some of your comments uh, coming in on um, Hi uh, Patricia My mother has a banana tree in her conservatory for the last 15 years back in 2011 it did grow bananas it was amazing to watch but no bananas uh, since Yeah and listening to Frederica I'm wondering will this be a one-off was it I mean you're saying which your mum is a conservatory so it's got the heat I'm just wondering is it down to we had that wonderful warm spell May into June and then it's just been wet and muggy since that humid kind of conditions and I'm assuming that's what has helped 
the uh, bananas uh, to grow. But uh, there you go. Somebody else has grown bananas uh, here in Cork. Thank you for that. 0818-103-103. On what we were talking about. Oh, Dennis, who joined us on the comment line, he was picking up on what Matty McGrath. Matty McGrath was talking to us about the decline in rural Ireland and he was very much putting all the blame on the government and previous governments. And Dennis was saying, look, it's okay. We can all sit and give out and moan and groan about what's going on. But he said, you know, as an elected representative, Matty and others need to band together, form some kind of a really, really strong <clears throat> rural party who would have the possibility of getting into government. And of course, we all know the only way to get change from a government point of view is to actually have a seat at the table and to actually be in government. And that's what Dennis was saying. That's what Matty and others need to do is to band together and form some kind of a rural party. John in North Cork, 100% says, agrees with everything that Dennis had to say. Someone else says, what a wise man is our Dennis. Uh, He is saying it as it is. Michael says, hi Patricia, I'm listening to Dennis and he's making a lot of very valid points. I agree we need more coherent rural policies and I think all rural TDs in the big parties need to stand up and not just pay lip lip service to rural issues. My big fear, says Michael, is the rise of the Sinn Féin party. If Sinn Féin get into government, who they will tax everything farming and land related to the hilt. They have no clue on what government is like in opposition, independence and themselves shout about everything, but they have no policies of their own, unfortunately. Coherence is the key here if we want a viable rural Ireland, says Michael. So, he's, Michael, you're very much singing on the same hymn sheet as uh, Dennis. It's to try and get some kind of a united group together. But I suppose the problem always when you get independents to try to come together, all independents have very different views. They might on some policies agree, but then, you know, they'll have different areas that they'll feel strongly about. And it's hard to get kind of that united. Um, that's what political parties do, though. They need to sit down and all go forward uh, together. But uh, a viable rural islands, that's what a lot of people would like to see. But, you know, the problem that we have at the moment is it's depopulation. We have less and less people living in rural Ireland. And it's one of the reasons why we've lost so many of those pubs. Now, you know, it's a valid argument to say that we probably had too many pubs in this country. If you look back at the 50s, 60s, 70s, probably even into the 80s, there was literally too many pubs. So we had to lose some of those. But now we are losing so many of them that we've got areas where there literally isn't a pub uh, left. There isn't a, isn't just pub, there isn't a post office left. The local school has closed down. The guard the station closed up shop uh, a while ago. And, you know, Matthew McGrath talking about almost tumbleweed blowing through some villages. When you go into a village, the heart has gone out of the village. It's very hard to attract people to come to live in that area if there's nothing there for them. Now, you would hope with remote working going on, and this is back to another issue we dealt with this week, we need good broadband because if you've got good broadband in those rural areas, that will encourage more remote working. Remote working certainly is becoming 
hugely uh, popular. It'll get people out of the choked urban areas and out of the cities where people can't find affordable accommodation, get them back into rural areas. And maybe if we do it that way, but we need to have the services in place. But it's very hard to sell to a young family, come live in a rural area if there isn't a school for the children to attend or if there's nowhere for them to go and have some kind of of a social life. So it, it needs... We need to work from the bottom up. We need to start rebuilding rural Ireland if that's the way we want it to go, if we want to have a, a, a viable rural Ireland. People living in rural Ireland at the moment, of course, very much wants to see it being viable going forward, but it's to sell it to people who want to come and live and work in the area. How would you like a trip to go see Ireland take on South Africa and the Stade de France on the 23rd of September? Well, you can find out how to win the ultimate rugby experience next Monday morning here on C103 at 8.15 there's return flights there's accommodation in Paris there's gold category match tickets which come with hospitality all getting you uh, to see you and a loved one Ireland versus South Africa listen here to win your way there next Monday 8.15 we'll have all the details with Ken on C103 now get your if you've got pet questions by the way get them in because Jane Pickett will be joining us in this hour so any questions relating to any of the animals in your household now is your chance to call John Paul 0818 103 103 you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 some of your texts and calls coming into the programme hi Patricia any idea what's happening with the Mills Street water supply. This is the second day that we've no water in the area. We've had a total of four outages and that's just in the last month. I've contacted Ishka Aaron, but I'm receiving little or no information. I have to say they're very poor public communication. Okay, we got on to uh, Ishka Aaron and they tell us there is repairs as we speak to a burst water main and that's causing supply disruptions to Clara, Mill Street and the surrounding areas and they reckon it should be back up and running by about four o'clock uh, today. I'm assuming it's just to do with a lot of old pipes in that area if you're having that many bursts in the last month and like we're not even in cold weather you know, we, we typically get a lot of these burst pipes when, when they freeze and you know and it's very icy cold weather or snow you don't really expect to see it in the middle of summer but obviously it is happening as well but that's the reason for it they are working on it and uh, four o'clock this afternoon and it's frustrating to be without water for that long um, I certainly agree with you 0818 103 103 uh, regarding rural Ireland that we've been discussing on the programme today Geron Maddow says Patricia regarding the depopulation of rural Ireland the one positive thing that our government are doing and they need to be called out because it's a really, really good scheme and that's the derelict house grant. This is allowing old empty houses, many of them are in rural areas to be brought back into use. It's a very positive move and it will benefit many areas throughout the country. Yeah, it is one of those real, real success uh, schemes for people who are taking on old houses. And you're, now, it, the, initially, I think when it came out, it was only for rural areas and they moved it in. You can get derelict properties inside in, in towns and villages and cities and God knows main streets in towns often have a lot of uh, derelict houses. So it's good to see grants being used 
to bring those, those houses back into use. And hi Patricia, Dennis, our common caller who was on, somebody else says, Dennis spoke very wisely on your programme uh, this morning, but why does he not contact every single independent TD, all of the farming organisations, get members of the farming community to form some kind of a party and then run individuals but run them all over the country, a little bit like what Sinn Féin will do in the next election. Dennis needs to understand that Sinn Féin will destroy his way of life. He has an opportunity now to prevent this. This would certainly a party like that would certainly get my vote and I have a feeling there will be a big shock for all of the current parties if they did that and if they grouped together. And that's from a countryman who is seeing the destruction of his rural community. Well, there's, there are some people who are ahead, already ahead on this. Something we spoke about earlier on this month, it was from the start of uh, August, we spoke about a Donegal farmer who set up a new political party. And this is in a bid to bring rural voices back into rural politics and into Irish politics. It's a Donegal uh, farmer by the name of Lee. McLaughlin. Now he established the Farmers Alliance Group. That was established earlier on this year. Now initially that was set up and it was to do with fertiliser costs uh, going through uh, the roof Um, and the aim at the time was to import fertiliser from mainland uh, Europe where it's a fraction of the price here. So that's how that group started. But what Liam noticed was that when he started holding meetings it became apparent that there were a lot of other issues facing farmers not just the price of fertiliser. So he got together with a couple of other farmers. They held a meeting and they said, look, what what can we do? Can we get like-minded people to get involved? And can we set up some kind of a political party? The idea of the party, they will fight on behalf of everyone now, not just the farmer, but they will be very much rural Ireland focused. So they set up the Farmers Alliance and that is going to be a new political uh, party. And it has been set up. Now, I haven't heard a lot more about them since then. I do know that when they first came out at the beginning of the month, the independent, the likes of Matty McGrath, the independent rural uh, TD said they weren't interested in joining. They were going to keep going the way they were going. And of course, certainly we also spoke at one stage on the programme with the independent TD Michael Fitzmaurice because he was trying to also set up a political party that would represent rural Ireland. So when this Farmers Alliance got set up, I thought, oh, I wonder is Michael Fitzmaurice involved with that? But he's not. Michael Fitzmaurice has decided not to get involved in that uh, either. So you can already see there seems to be a bit of of, of, of fractured support there. They all appear to be singing off the same hymn sheet, but they all, and I don't know why, they all don't want to get together because I think that's the one point that's coming across on the programme this morning. They very much need to have a united group and a large group of TDs from rural areas voted in and then they'll, you know, they'll have better bargaining power in order to get them into government. 0818 103 103. Thank you for your text. Uh, somebody else was on by WhatsApp earlier on, uh, worried about the, the news coming out that Ukrainian refugees could end up sleeping in tents. Uh, Lister says we cannot ask people who are fleeing war to sleep in tents and that does seem to be what is going to happen and I, my fear is it's going to be sooner rather than uh, later uh, because the government are already 
saying that they're they're looking now at the possibility of tents. Why? They're running out of beds and they reckon by the end of this month any new arrivals coming there will not be beds uh, for them. It's now thought that officials in the Department of Integration and they obviously are the ones who look after refugees when they arrive in this country. They're now looking at sites where tents can be erected, similar to what they've done in Gormanstown Army uh, Camp and what they did uh, last uh, year. According to Keir Phelan in the Irish Examiner, there could be 2,000 Ukrainian refugees who won't have accommodation in the coming weeks. Now, there's a number of senior staff from various government departments. They all met yesterday to discuss the matter. It's understood. Officials were told that the department will run out of beds for new arrivals and they are, and those already staying in student accommodation, they're going to need new accommodation for them by the end of this month because obviously they have to leave the student accommodation because the third level colleges are about to reopen so the students need to move back in. The government now say there's nowhere to relocate 1,550 people who are in student accommodation but will need to leave at the end of this week and the state is expecting around 500 new arrivals every week. Officials uh, told the Department of Integration that they've spent the last week exhausting all options within their control. They have looked to to seek private hospitality accommodations such as hotels, no joy there. The department has also contacted all properties that they've used in the past as emergency shelter. For example, they've got on to Croke Park, they've looked at UCD, they've looked at the Aviva as well as other options for senior sources say none of this brought the number of beds that they're going to need. So the Department of Integration officials, they've emailed several other government departments looking for assistance, including the Taoiseach's uh, office. It's understood the Ukrainian ambassador to Ireland. Uh, she was also contacted to inform her that sourcing accommodation is going to be extremely difficult in the weeks ahead. Now it's understood the lack of accommodation uh, will also be notified to embassies in neighbouring countries to try to get the message out to people about not coming here. Senior sources say the number of Ukrainians arriving over the summer was actually higher than was anticipated. I was surprised to read this, that 10,000 Ukrainians have arrived here and that's just since May and usually during the summer months they don't see as many um, well, certainly that, that's what they were expecting. The winter months, obviously, because they're very hard winters in Ukraine. And if people are living in areas that, that are being shelled or the electricity is gone or they don't have a supply of food, you can understand why they would move in the winter months. But they weren't expecting so many to come to Ireland during the summer months. So 10,000 have arrived at uh, this uh, summer. So in total now, we are accommodating 92,500 inward migrants. Now, obviously, they're not all Ukrainian refugees also included in that are the international protection applicants, those who are arriving here looking for uh, asylum. Sources say every effort is now being made to avoid having uh, Ukrainians arriving here with nowhere to stay. And obviously the one and a half thousand, they're in student accommodation. There is a big scramble to get them accommodation. A department said with almost 7,000 
1,000 additional beds have been contracted in this time, there still remains a significant shortfall in accommodation, particularly for those fleeing war in Ukraine. And that was going to be the case in the coming weeks. The government is now working urgently to source additional accommodation. I saw, for example, that they're thinking of putting out uh, another plea to people who've got a spare room in their house. Um, I mean, we know many people have opened up their homes and I think you can get €800 Euro a month if you put up a refugee. So I think they, they, they may look at that, going back to that again and seeing if they can encourage uh, people uh, to offer a room in their house. And seemingly a message on the Embassy of Ukraine to Ireland Facebook page is actually urging people not to come to Ireland, certainly in the next six to eight weeks. And um, the embassy in Ukraine are telling their own people that Ireland is facing another crisis regarding accommodation and they're urging those thinking of coming to reconsider. So I suppose they're trying to do as uh, best as they can to tell people not to come. But it certainly is not stopping the numbers that are coming in. I think over the summer it averaged at uh, 650 arrivals per week are coming from uh, Ukraine and there literally are no beds. 0818 103 103 Our lines are open. We are particularly looking for your pet questions. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie A couple of events happening today. The Lombardstown 5 Mile Road Race that's in association with Mount Hillary uh, AC that's on tonight half past seven starts and finishes at Crowley's Bar in Gertrude and the registration is 15 euro. And Nazareth House Lotto Draw, that's on this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Nazareth House thanking everyone for your continued uh, support. Tomorrow Friday there's Kaylee sets in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic, dancing from 9.30. Admission 10 euro, that does include teas. There is a table quiz in the winning post in Rossmore. Uh, tomorrow night uh, with proceeds going to the West Cork Rapid response it is €10 per person and for Moy Rugby Club they have a car boot sale next Saturday 7am an early start until 2 in the afternoon and it's to raise funds for new lights at the Formoy Rugby Club grounds all are welcome Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Court today on C103 Now a little bit of good news for us because the mystery of the Barley Cove whale bones that we featured on the programme earlier in the week has been solved and as own English put it thanks to a Wicklow family who have a hidden talent for marine anatomy the dad of the group Marcus O'Toole from Greystones uh, joins me Good afternoon to you Marcus Ah, good afternoon. Hi, nice to see you. Uh, lovely to speak to you. Have you any idea of the consternation you've been causing here in Cork? Not at all. Don't know what's happening, but uh, <laughs> just going along with it for the fun anyway. Um, yeah, okay. we seem to have left something in our, in our wake you down did, there when we left on you Sunday. You did indeed, and you made headline news, I can tell you that. Now, <laughs> you need to take us back. You were on holidays with your family. Yeah, yeah, we've been down there since uh, Friday, so we're down for a long weekend, um, or sorry, Thursday actually, um, just staying with family uh, down in Barley Cove, as, as we do, we've been down a few times over the years, and um, yeah, we're just taking it easy, of course, with Storm Betty was in for the first 
couple of days, so it was a bit choppy. But then on the Sunday, we went walk, nice and sunny, um, just myself and my daughters, and just up along the estuary at the back of Barley Cove. And um, yeah, just looking around, so it was just, you know, fish, crabs, the usual stuff, and just spotted something in the distance and kind of said, all right, let's go over and have a look at that. And um, yes, as I mentioned, the article, like just stumbled across what we thought was initially was a cow. Um, and then we could kind of just see, you know, the bones were all kind of scattered around and it kind of turned the, the skull around. And I was like, hang on a minute, this isn't a cow. This is pretty big. And the girls were like, oh, it's a shark or something, you know. <laughs> so um, we just started to gather up the pieces and that's it. Put it together and kept finding more and more pieces, like even as the, looking under the, the shore and everything, you can see more and more bits in there. And uh, the girls are getting more excited then when they can see the size of it. So they, they just wanted to keep gathering up pieces of it. And before we knew it then, we could see like the, the shape of it. We're like, hang on, this is a dolphin or a whale or something. Um, and yeah, we we're there probably 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and the, the water's in, so we kind of had to leave it. But we just assumed this is something that's always down there or everyone would know about it or, you know, it's Barley Cove, things like this happen all the time. And left us, you know, and, and drove. Actually, we were leaving the, the day after and we could see it from the distance on the road. And we we're like, oh, look, there's the, there's the whale. And, and here we are now. We didn't realize we'd uncovered what we did. <laughs> so you know? so, so it, it was it was like putting a jigsaw or, or pieces of Lego together, really, because you laid it out. I mean, it is, it. Uh, it, it is, I'm told, uh, as near to um, anatomically correct as it could be. Glad to hear us, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the girls were, were curious about us, and so they kept kind of, they were kind of saying, this piece must go here and there. Um, so, yeah, it, I think, you know, yourself, like from school books or TV programs, you, you kind of you get a sense of what, what the scale of it should be. So, yeah, we just kept looking for the pieces, and it all kind of fit together like that, like a Lego or like a jigsaw. Um, and that's kind of what the girls were excited about was like finding more pieces and realizing it's actually getting bigger and bigger. Initially, at one point, they, they kind of had the, the tail of it kind of curling around. It looked like a dragon. I was like, no, that, that, that can't be it. So I'm glad we didn't leave it that way anyway. It probably would have confused people even more. And actually, we, we had uh, Paudry Cooley on. He's the sightings officer with the, the Irish Whale and Dolphin yeah. Group. We, we happened to have Paudry on the programme, so we asked him about it. Now, he immediately said, you know, a skeleton wouldn't, it wouldn't be laid out as perfectly. So he was the first to say, somebody's done this. Yeah. But then we were scratching our heads saying, who did this? And, you know, who went to, <laughs> to, to the effort? And I'm wondering, was it Storm Betty that brought in the skeleton? Yeah, I'm not sure because to be honest, like it's it was quite. And I spoke to Podrick actually, and uh, he said himself it was like it's you know it's just bones and it's it's been there a while. So ah. yeah, maybe Storm Storm Betty kind of drained out some of the the mud or something. It could have been buried for a long time. Who knows? Yeah. Um. Yeah. But but yeah, it was largely all there. You know, that's that's the thing. So it was. Uh, he, he think he said he's going to try get us. You know, it's a good sample. It'd be great for bringing around to schools and you know, just for education and everything. So hopefully he can, he can find it. We left it anyway. So yeah, and um, he, he can he, pick it up. Yeah, he wasn't, a, at this stage, we don't know what type of a whale it was, or do we? Um, He, he thinks maybe a, a pilot whale or, right. you know, a species of dolphin or something like the bottlenose or something like a larger, it's, it's a cousin of the dolphins or something. So, um, yeah, it's, that's initially what he thinks anyway, just from, from the photos and stuff. But I think he, He's been busy, I think, with the 
the other um, whales that have come to the harbour in Yall yeah, or something. That's so, more. That's more of yeah. a worry at the moment because they're afraid that they're going to beach um, stranded. Yeah. So they're, they're, there's a big there's a big worry about those. That's why we had them on the program. But that's why when we had to talk about the the mystery of the Barley Cove whale had to be brought up on the program. Yeah. And the amount of people who genuinely believed that this whale had just washed in and we needed to do something <laughs> with it was just it was it was fun. I have to say, it really was fun. Your, your two daughters, Ava and Zoe, are twelve and seven. Is it? That's right. Yeah. yeah, How, yeah. Obviously, so, um, I've had, you've obviously spoken to them about what's happened since. Yeah, yeah. They they were in the car with me yesterday when um, the examiner contacted me and everything like. So um, yeah, they're they're just they're, they don't know what to think. Um, Ava's gone into secondary school now, so she's a bit like keep me out of the press. Don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> um, Zoe's loving it. Um, so, yeah, no, they're, they're excited, though. You know, it's, yeah. it's a great little story for them. Well, you know something? Zoe at seven has a great show and tell for when she goes back to school and what you do on the Definitely. summer holidays. We built a whale. Yeah. <laughs> and we yeah, made it exactly. onto the papers. <laughs> and you obviously took photographs. <laughs> you took photographs and everything, did you? Yeah, yeah. We just, we took some snaps um, as I was doing it because I knew myself. I was like, I, I wanted to send some photos to the family and everything. I was like, oh, look what we found. But again, kind of assuming things like this happen in Cork all the time or down in West <laughs> no, Cork. No, no, um, it, it doesn't. So there it, we go. It doesn't, Marcus, for sure. <laughs> and you say you family, you family in, in Barleycove. Um, yeah, my my mother in law, she's um, she's from Douglas, so um, yeah, so we we kind of stay there in West Cork, and there's, there's family, there's a yeah, house down there. So yeah, we haven't been down in a few years actually. It's been a while, um, so it was lovely to get down, and the weather was perfect after a couple of days. And yeah, there we go. We en- we ended up in the papers and on yeah. the news, and, and it's are, it's so. it's it's the most beautiful part of the country. I oh, mean, yeah. West Cork is is just uh, yeah, stunning. It's, it's always. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a different part of the world. Never mind the country. Like it's just yeah, it's it's a really special place. So yeah, we love it down there. Every time we just we always have a little adventure. So you married a Cork woman and took her back to Dublin with you? Well, technically, yeah. <laughs> but she, well, it's my mother in law is from there, but uh, my wife's from the area here. Where All right, are, so, okay. Yeah, technically, right. There's, there's lineage there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering when Cork played Dublin, do you have fun in the household? Okay, listen, Marcus, it's, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you. You certainly yeah, bright, you brightened up our week, if nothing else. So thank you for that. Good afternoon. Bye bye, bye bye. Well, lovely man. That is uh, Marcus O'Toole from uh, Greystone. So it's good. And, and in fairness to Podrick uh, Hooley from the Whale and Dolphin Group, he was the first one to call it out and said, "Lads, come on! There is no way a skeleton would wa- would wash up and be perfectly laid out like that." So well done to Marcus and to his two daughters, Ava and uh, Zoe, for knowing what they were doing. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett joins us. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let's get straight into questions. And if you want to get a question into us, you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Now, Susan was on to us uh, earlier, and this is to do with her dog, who is a red setter, who's about seven years of age. Now, Susan, and well done to Susan for this. Susan took on the dog about three years ago when he was four. It was a rescue dog. Now, Susan said he was in a really sorry state when Susan got him um, malnourished. He had issues with his ears. But anyway, 
she, she persevered, took him to the vet and got him all back up and running. And she describes him as being a very happy dog. But since the start of this summer, for whatever reason, he just w- doesn't want to go out uh, walking. And she's wondering, why is this? She said he simply will not go for a walk with us. Now, if you take him out physically in the car and put him out into a field, he'll run around the field and he'll be happy out. But to actually get out the lead of the chain and go for a walk, he just refuses point blank. What could be going on here? Oh, well, it sounds like a little bit of an unusual one, particularly if he's, let's say, putting the brakes on whenever he's on a lead, but happy to run around of his own accord. Um, I suppose there's a few things it could be, um, and they probably, and, and regardless of what it is, it, it warrants investigation. So it could be behavioural. Um, it sounds like he did a really great job um, taking him on and settling him in. He sounds like he's a really happy dog. But whether something has changed in the environment or whether something has changed or he's had a bad incident, let's say, he, if he was walking on the roads, did he get a fright from a car or something like that? You know, dogs are incredible little creatures. They have a, a very kind of um, pattern related memory. So they're very good at, you know, spotting when they're in a similar situation to when something has happened before. So did he get a fright when he was on the lead previously that might be making him a little bit concerned about that in future? Um, if that's not the case, I would suggest that, you know, it's it's worth investigating it even from a medical non-behavioural point of view, because we need to make sure that him sitting down and let's say putting on the brakes and refusing to go for a walk, we need to make sure it's not one of two things. We need to make sure it's not exercise intolerance, so he's not feeling able to walk. Um, now, things that could cause that would be things like heart problems, um, breathing problems. Heart problems would be kind of more the more silent one that we mightn't notice. A breathing problems, usually they'll have a cough or heavy breathing, so it's usually some that will be picked up otherwise um, but they can all cause let's say sitting down on walks sudden stopping on walks looking tired wanting to turn back and that would be a non-behavioral cause of what's going on the other thing we need to be mindful of as well is is he associating walks with being sore and stiff so he's getting into his let's say older years he still hopefully has a good few miles on the clock but he does have some age behind him so is he beginning to have sore joints does he have the very start of osteoarthritis and he he knows that if he goes for a big long walk he's going to get really sore and be very stiff is he associating and connecting those two things together quite possibly now the thing that counters both of those things be be they the exercise intolerance or the sore joints is the fact that when he's off the lead he's running around happy as Larry so you know is it a situation where it is behavioural in that case but I think really it's a little bit of a complex situation and it needs a, a detective digging into it. So I think call your local vet to, to do their detective work on the situation. Um, it's always worth checking out an older patient anyway, health wise, because, you know, even if it's not that, it may be a, a case that health examination uncovers something else that can be managed and dealt with early on. So it's always worth getting older patients checked out. We'd recommend kind of every six months or so. So he's probably due for his annual health check anyway. But discuss that with your vet. And if they find that there are no abnormalities physically and he seems otherwise normal could well be behavioral and it may be at that stage then i suppose if it's something that you guys feel that is impacting on his quality of life not being able to go on the lead with you guys um or you feel that it's troublesome given the location you live in then i would say it's something that needs to be dealt with by a behaviorist and again your vet is the first protocol there to discuss well who would they recommend for behavioral work who's appropriately trained and qualified um to be able to provide safe advice so i think either way you go whether it's medical or whether it's behavioural is an underlying cause, your vet is definitely your first protocol there. Yeah, and red setters are, they're beautiful dogs. 
Oh, they are. I used to have one. I used to have a, a lovely little red setter. Um, she's popped her clogs now, but she was there all the time when I was yeah. growing up. She was a lovely little yeah, lady. They're they're lovely. Staffed as a bush. They never grow up. <laughs> yeah, they're gorgeous, gorgeous uh, dogs. Hi, my dog got sick this morning. Now, he has been gagging the last few days. What could be causing it? Okay, a number of different causes. So if he's been gagging for the last few days, so if he's been kind of empty reaching, not producing vomitus, then that may signal that he's feeling nauseous, but there might not be anything in his tummy to come up. So I'd wonder, well, has he eaten over the last few days or has he been kind of just ignoring his snacks? Um there are a number of things that can cause vomiting or empty reaching in patients. Some of them are, I suppose, on the milder side of things, less worrisome. Sometimes just a simple upset tummy or a tummy bug can cause um, empty reaching or vomiting. Um, sometimes accompanied by diarrhea, so loose stools. But there are other causes. So I suppose the more serious side of things would be things like blockages. Um, so have we eaten something that's got lodged in our stomach or intestines and is causing a blockage there? Is that making them feel nauseous and provide this kind of empty reaching vomiting that's happening? Um, but there can also be other medical issues, for example, kidney disease, liver disease that can cause vomiting. So it's really something that, you know, it's 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 a needle in a haystack as regards a sign. And what's really important is the fact that, you know, if you visit your vet, they do a full physical exam. You know, they can fit those pieces of the puzzle together. Um, there's many things that it could be could be due to, but your vet will be able to nail down and narrow down that list, of, uh, certainly just based on your history, a little bit more depth about what's happened and what might have happened environmentally and what might have happened with the diet recently. Um, and obviously the physical examiner will be able to guide you in the right direction. Maybe the further investigation might be required. So I think of, let's say, vomiting dogs or vomiting cats that come into me quite often. If it's not a, a simple tummy bug or a, an obvious tummy upset, they might end up needing bloods or a belly x-ray or an abdomen ultrasound. So there are a number of different kind of investigative pathways that you can take. So it's just important to, to bring it to the attention of your vet and discuss the plan. OK, now there's a couple of uh, well, three different uh, texts in all to do with pets and, and eating. Firstly, uh, Sue. Hi, uh, Patricia. Uh, could you ask Jane, uh, why is my kitten eating all of the time but appears to be very thin? So kittens do tend to eat quite frequently. So let's say their ability to stabilize their blood sugars, their blood glucose is not the same as an older adult cat in the same way that a baby is not the same as an adult human. So from that perspective, they do need to eat really frequently. They almost kind of trickle feed themselves in order to maintain their blood sugar at a standard level. Um, and also you have to remember that their bellies aren't very big. So their their, their stomach capacity is really small. Um, so they will only be able to eat a tiny little nugget of food or a tiny little sip of milk. Um, every now and again so they will be seen to be eating more frequently than let's say an adult an adult patient that might have a, a meal once or twice a day so it's probably not a huge concern now if he's still very thin one thing that could be a concern will be well has he got parasites has he got worms and that would be really 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 common in young kittens some of those worms they can actually even get from their mum really interestingly um so it is important to make sure that your pet is up to date with their worming and that it is required really frequently with their young little nuggets. So let's say up until when they're 12 weeks of age, they'll probably need worming every two weeks or so. If they're really, really young little nuggets, they might need it weekly. So if they hasn't, if, if your little little pet hasn't had a recent wormer, it's definitely worth getting that done, but take some advice on it. Just want to make sure that the, the product you're using is suitable for your pet's life stage and that you're using it correctly for um for their for, their for the age, for the age and size. So it's just important okay. to, to get some advice. OK, stay safe and similar enough. Um, how much should I be giving a cavachon every day? At the moment, uh, I'm giving my dog a half a tin of dog food mixed with nuts, but I am worried that that's not enough. 
Hmm, really depends. So um, it really depends on a few things. It depends on their body weight. So as we all know, they're small and big amongst all of us, and that goes for dogs too. Um, so their body size will have a big impact on that because obviously the bigger the dog, the more calories they require for just simple maintenance. But it also depends on lifestyle as well. If you've got a really, really active dog, they're just going to be out burning off all of those calories and they'll need a lot more than a very sedentary dog that's a bit of a lap dog. So there are a number of different things, but also one big variable is the food that you're using so it's kind of like us it's trying to compare a, a bowl of porridge to a mars bar and it's very similar with dog foods some of them are very very calorie dense kind of the mars bars of this world and in some cases that's really appropriate so let's say for a working dog or a whelping mother they really need a high calorie diet and those diets are suitable whereas they'd be really unsuitable for a very sedentary lap dog and um, so without knowing the calorie content and exactly what food you're on it's very difficult to compare because obviously you're going to be eating a very different amount of porridge to, to mars bars to be able to get the same amount of calories so what i'd suggest in a situation like this is vets and veterinary nurses are really passionate about diet because it is kind of the cornerstone of health have a chat to your local clinic and if you if you get the food from them great they'll probably be very familiar with it but if not take a photo of the details on the back of, of the package of the food that you have. You want the bit where they're talking about kilocals and kilojoules and bring that into your, to your veterinary nurse or vet and ask them, well, do you do weight clinics or is there a way you could calculate how much I need to have for my pet based on their lifestyle? Usually most veterinary clinics are more than happy to help out. You know, it's we're really all about preventing issues rather than creating them. So, you know, if we can get ahead of problems and make sure that our pet has uh, an adequate diet that prevents obesity, then we're all on board for that. So have a chat with your local vet and just make sure you bring in the details of your food. And somebody else is on about the correct amount of food to give to two adult cats. Uh, at the moment, they are, it's a tin for 100 grams of the standard tin of cat food. I give them one between them a day. But is that enough? Mm, very similar situation here. It really depends on what the food is. It also depends on what the size of the cat is. So if we've got a very petite little cat, they might be, let's say, two, two and a half kgs. But then we can have big bruisers that are kind of getting up towards five, six kgs. And that's almost double the body weight. Um, just from the sound of it, if they were average cats, it sounds OK. Um, if it was an average cat and an average food and an average lifestyle, it sounds OK. It might be a little bit less than I'd expect them to have. But I think one thing that would be really worth considering is building in some dry food into their diet. So for cats, the current recommendation is to, I suppose, best practice is to have uh, wet food for hydration. That's really important for kidney health, but also have a, an element of kind of a crispy biscuit nut based diet and um, like a classic cat nut because um, that's really good for their teeth to have that little bit of crunchiness. So maybe consider adding in um, some nut based food for your for your cat, but also similar, similar advice to the last time. If you have uncertainty about the amount you should feed, just bring in the packaging or a photo of the packaging to your local vet nurse and they usually be happy to, to calculate the calorie requirements and give you an idea of what your pet should have. OK, here's an unusual one on behaviour with a cat. Anne says, Patricia, a friend of mine has lovely cats, but while they were away on holidays and somebody was cat sitting, one of the cats left the house and went missing. Didn't come back for a few weeks. And since he's come back, he's just not happy with himself. Now, there is a new addition in that another kitten has been added into the house and this kitten just wants to play with him and he's having none of it. Uh, is it all um, linked to them going away and the cat wasn't happy about them going away? 
Mm, cats are very, I suppose they're very perceptive little creatures and they don't like change. You know, you move the sofa two feet to the left and all of a sudden they think their world is falling apart. So it could potentially be a case that they were upset about being left on their own or left with different people to mind them. And um, particularly if they're very, very bonded to the owner. But what's really standing out from that that history there is the fact that there's a new addition to the household and it's a cat. Yeah. Cats are really solitary creatures. You know, sometimes if they get very used to a companion, they can have some kind of degree of companionship. But we know that they're they're really independent little creatures. So having a, a new small little nugget of a kitten in the household to upset the peace is probably not that that cat's idea of a, a wonderful day. So they're probably trying to distance themselves a little bit. I think the main thing is um i suppose make sure that they're otherwise well in themselves if you do have any concerns about their health and maybe making them feel off getting checked out by a vet but otherwise it's most likely behavioral make sure that there's enough cat resources so that's food water and litter trays okay and make sure that they're eating and drinking with in very different places so ideally in different rooms and certainly not within sight of each other and always make sure that there's at least one more litter tray than the number of cats you have so let's say you have three cats you need to have four litter trays so cats are very resource based. So if they don't have to compete for those little cat resources, so food, water, litter tray, and I suppose human attention as well is really important. So individual human attention, um, then they tend to calm down a lot. But it may just be a case that the cat needs a little bit of space. So I wouldn't force them together and hope that they'll get along. Just let them have their cat space and things will probably settle down eventually. OK, they've just come back to say they've had him checked out of the vet. He is well. It is it is completely it's uh, yeah, it's completely is to do with uh, behaviour. And can I say he may never get on with that kitten? I had one cat that never accepted uh, any more brood in, into the house. OK, and a final one from Tim. Tim has a nine year old palm. Uh, had difficulty walking, took it to the vet. The vet has diagnosed a prolapse womb. He's looking for your advice. Is at nine a little palm? Is it too old to operate or would it be best to operate? It's such a hard decision, Tim says. Oh, it is. It is a very difficult decision. I think particularly when we have pets that we're so fond of, but they're getting into, let's say, their latter years. You know, when they need medical care, it is a real toss up because I suppose particularly when, let's say, general anaesthetic is involved. And I suppose the classic one that I would I would have chats with owners about is dental disease. There was always a a big reluctance to have pets undergo dental work in their older years because of the risk of anaesthesia. But what I would say in that situation is you have to think about their quality of life. So same goes for dental disease. If you've got sore teeth, they're not going to be happy every day. So that balances out the risk of anaesthesia or surgery or dental work. And the same thing goes for the, let's say, the prolapse that's been diagnosed if that's a health risk and I suppose not knowing how severe the situation is because you know your vet will be fully I suppose au fait with that side of it it's a little bit difficult to say but if it's impacting on your pet's quality of life or if your vet has discussed it being a risk longer term then you know it is really worth having a second discussion with your vet about, well, is surgery the right thing to do? And in many cases, if it's going to impact on their quality of life or be a health risk going forward, it is. But ultimately, it's a very personal decision. But what I will say is if you're having reservations or you're concerned and you're not sure, please don't be afraid to ask for a second chat with your vet. You know, we understand we're pet owners too, the vast majority of us. We know these are big decisions and we really don't mind chatting about it a second time in most cases because sometimes it takes a little while to digest and come back and think again. So if you have concerns and you're not sure, have a second chat with your own vet because they'll be fully abreast of the situation and I'm sure they'll be only more than happy to have a chat with you again about it. Okay, great advice. Thanks for that, Jane. Have a lovely week and uh, we'll talk to you next week. It sounds like somebody's moving the house behind you. 
It is. It's a busy day here. I'm in a, a very busy <laughs> okay. practice today. My apologies for uh, that. You're okay. Noise. You're okay. I'll let you get back to it. Thanks for that. And Thank uh, thanks you. for joining us. That is uh, Jane uh, Pickett. Uh, I thought somebody was going to remove her at one stage. <laughs> there was so much going on in the background uh, from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. It is part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary uh, Group. And don't forget, Premier League Live is back on c103.ie with Trevor Welch. It's on this Saturday from midday, powered by Talk Sport. We'll be bringing you live coverage this weekend of Bournemouth versus Tottenham. That's at 12.30. Arsenal take on Fulham at three. And the final match at half five is Brighton versus West Ham United. That's the Premier League live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Listen on Saturdays on the C103 app or, of course, you can check it out on c103.ie. That's where I've got to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and enjoy the sunshine. It's a nice sunny spells today. We will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for the final one of the week. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.